Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It is October the 6th, 2022, and one of the saddest headlines this week is the death of Loretta Lynn, a true icon of American culture, great singer. Uh, she's missed by all of us, not just the New York Times and the NPR, who you'd expect to miss a cultural icon, uh, but people on the traditional right, too. Uh, lots of uh, sad obituaries to her, one on uh, the platform uh, Christian Today. So both right and left are missing a character like Loretta Lynn, who whose career, I think, like one or two other cultural figures in American history, was uh, designed to bring people together. Another uh, of the characters designed to bring Americans together is Dolly Parton. And it's no coincidence that Parton is leading the tributes to the death of Loretta Lynn. Uh, as Parton said on her Twitter page, so sorry to hear about my sister friend Loretta. We've been like sisters all the years we've been in Nashville. And she was a wonderful human being, wonderful talent, had millions of fans, and I'm one of them. I miss her dearly, as we all will. May she rest in peace. It's a similar sort of thing that someone might write about the great Dolly Parton, uh, a true icon like Loretta Lynn, perhaps even a larger icon than Lynn herself. Uh, Parton, who both conservatives and liberals, men and women, particularly men, love. Um, and I'm thrilled that we're talking about Parton today with my guest. Uh, she has a new memoir, Lynn Melnick. I've had to think up a way to survive on trauma, persistence, and Dolly Parton. Um, Lynn is joining us from her home in Brooklyn. Uh, Lynn, I uh, made a Freudian error there. I said particularly men love <laughs> Parton. It's probably wrong. It's perhaps women uh, more than men. What is it about characters like Parton and Lynn that bring us together as Americans? And what 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 are we losing when... They, they sadly depart this world, whether it's Lynn or eventually, uh, God forbid, Parton. You know, I think, thank you for having me, first of all. Um, I think uh, somebody like Loretta Lynn, she's just, she's lasted so long. You know, her career has been so long and it's similar to Dolly Parton. I mean, her first single came out in 1959 and she's had singles and albums every year of every decade since, you know, she's had something come out, a song, an album. And I think um, it's sort of that steadfastness. We just expect her, like we have expected Loretta Lynn to always be there. So I think that's one reason um, that everyone sort of comes together to mourn a figure like that. And in Dolly's case, um, I think she remains so beloved by everyone in this country. I always say like, she's the only thing that like everyone in the United States can agree on. Everyone loves Dolly. And I think it's because she's just, she's so uh, good intentioned. Her intentions are very pure and very good. And she's trying to put light out into the world in a way where it doesn't seem like she's expecting anything back. She just wants to make beautiful music and give back when she can. She's a remarkable philanthropist. And I think she, um, it just, she, it's hard to argue with any of that, you know, and she also does not or very rarely 
overtly states political positions, which I think is also unusual. You can read into her political positions in her songs, but she's she stays very neutral. You know, she talks about the music and things that are more neutral. So I think that's another reason why she's so beloved by so many people. Uh, your new book, Lynn, uh, I've had to think up a way to survive on trauma, persistence and Dolly Parton is published by the University of Texas Press, the music division. What's so musical about the book? I know it's built around Dolly Parton's songs. Yeah, it's it's part of the American music series and it's a real joy to be a part of that because they put out such great books. This book is, um, it's about like one third about Dolly Parton's music and songwriting, one third about her, um, her cultural impact and one third about my life. So it's 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 more music than memoir, but I call in it in that order. Is your life is this memoir is <laughs> third on the list, Lynn? Oh, well, you know, it changed. It changed as I wrote it, and it changes as I think about it and talk about it. Um, it's very much a memoir. It's deeply personal um, about my own experience with trauma and and uh, survival. Um, but Dolly is there the whole time. Each chapter uh, is named after one of Dolly's singles. And so each chapter will dive into that song and what was happening around it when it came out and uh, and then what it means to me or what it inspires in me or how it sort of helped me get through something. So it's it's really both. And it, I think in terms of being part of a music series, it's not just about the music, but it's about how we as fans and listeners uh, relate to the music and what we get from the music. And so I think I'm excited to bring Dolly to people in that way not just her biography. How do you break down, how do you analyze the music when it comes to Parton? Is it the the, the music itself, the, the songwriting, the voice, or is it hard to summarize the um, the, the uniqueness of, of, of the Parton song, of the Parton genre? Well, it is. I mean, she's, you know, she's definitely one of a kind, but it's kind of all of the things you mentioned, right? Like, so she's, She's a really prolific and sort of very deep and um, smart songwriter. Um, I'm a poet, um, and so I sort of enjoyed her um, on the level of the lyrics, on the level of poetry. I mean, she writes, you know, these beautiful rhythms, great internal rhymes in her songs. Her metaphors are astonishing. Um, and then because I'm not a musician, I had to learn a lot about uh, music composition and uh, you know, and different instruments and how they all blend together to make her songs. Um, and then uh, just sort of talking about, you know, the everything as a whole and what the songs, how the songs feel when they're done and how her voice is one of the most expressive, I think, of, um, you know, even in a genre like country where people do express a lot in their voices, um, hers is just remarkably expressive. I mean, she can go, you feel real joy or rapture or you feel real sorrow. Um, and despair when she sings. She just, she's got great command of her voice. Do you think, I mean, this is a memoir, Lynn. Do you mm -hmm. think of your life in some ways as being similar to a Dolly Parton's life or to a Dolly Parton's song? Or is it hard to distinguish Parton's art from her life? Um, well, it is a little bit hard to distinguish those things because as much as we all feel like we know her and she belongs to us, she's kept a lot to herself very impressively for someone who's so famous. Um, I began the book. And she's got 5 million followers on Twitter. <laughs> yes, exactly. You know, she's just so, she's everywhere. You know, it's like everybody knows at least one Dolly Parton song. Um, 
I, when I began the book, I did not know what we had in common. I knew that she was this beacon for me my entire life since I first heard her uh, when I was a teenager. And I, you know, so she sort of followed me through all these parts of my life. I'd like, you know, just play her music so frequently, but I wasn't really sure what we had in common because we have very different sort of backgrounds. She's, you know, one of 12. She grew up in East Tennessee, uh, very poor. They didn't have running water. Um, very Christian. And I grew up in LA, middle-class Jewish, just, I was like, why, where do we meet? Um, why is she this beacon for me? And then the more that I wrote the book, I really, even starting the book, I didn't know. It was in the act of writing the book that I really came to understand that where we meet is in our sense of hope and our uh, sense of persistence. Uh, and that no matter what traumas we've been through, that we sort of hold on to hope and survival. And I feel uh, now having written the book, I feel like I get it now that she sort of guided me through all that um, with her own stories that she tells in her songs and with her own life story. Her voice is, of course, important in terms of the development of her career. And your voice in a different way is important on your um, on Lit Hub. You have an essay. Um, on phone sex, first writing jobs, and unexpected teachers. Um, I, I assume you had a good voice for phone sex. <laughs> well, thank you. I, as I say in the um, article, I sucked at phone sex. I was terrible at it. I was way. I was You're very supposed young. to suck, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, but not in the good way. Not in the way that that people call for. I just. I was. I was very young. I was sixteen, and I was very shy. And so I got to the, to the office. I, was, I had just started community college. I had flunked out of high school. And I, um, I got to uh, the office and I, you know, they tried me out. I totally failed. And then, because I didn't know what to say. I didn't know what anybody wanted. But what do you mean they tried you out? I mean, what did you have to do? I had to take a call and see if, what I could do. You know, I watched the other girls in the office. And they were all experts at it. They were they were so good and they were so like disengaged from what they were doing, you know, because they'd probably been doing it a while. And so I just I, you know, I, I got so overwhelmed that I cried, um, which is a little it's funny now. It didn't feel funny at the time. But the guy uh, who ran the office kind of took pity on me and offered me a job both um, uh, doing office and clerical work around there and like cleaning the office and also writing scripts because I told him that I was in college and he was like well why don't you you know write some of these scripts because they had um one of the um one of the options you could have when you called in was that you wouldn't get a live girl you would just have somebody recording it and it was less money um, so so I started writing these scripts and he would edit them and sometimes some of the other women there would help me edit these basically porn scripts and that's really how I learned to write at the same time that I was taking like beginning uh, uh, rhetoric classes, uh, you know, beginning writing classes at community college where I was also learning to write. So this was happening at exactly the same time. So I always feel like uh, both my teacher at college and this man who I worked for um, really kind of taught me how to write um, in equal measure. How is writing? There's no subtitle about writing in the in the book. I've had to think up a way to survive on trauma, um, persistence, and Dolly Parton. But writing is central to your life. Did you always want to be a writer, or did you understand yourself better as you became 
a writer with this this job doing porn scripts when you were 16 years old? <laughs> that that's a really good question. I um, had always wanted. I first thought when I was you know a younger teenager that in the younger person I wanted to write songs. You know, I thought that would be really cool. Um, but I didn't know any musicians who wanted to write songs with me. Um, and then I discovered poetry um, when I was 14 or 15 years old. And I began to write it around then. And I thought, I want to be a poet, which is a very impractical thought. Um, but I mean, I didn't know anything at the time. And so I always saw myself as a poet, really. Um, although, you know, just sort of for myself, because I was writing, just no one was seeing it. Um, and I think... Um, so after, you know, this experience writing these scripts and taking those classes, I, the next job that I had after that was tutoring people in writing at the, at the, at the writing resource center at the community college that I went to. And so right, I thought, you joined the, the scholars club. At yeah, that's right. college. yeah, which is like the honor society of, of city college making uh 585 <laughs> an hour, which well, we're not going to ask for years, uh, Lynn, <laughs> but, but that probably it was, it was, uh, it, it at the time, matter. minimum wage was 425. So it was over so minimum wage. Rich. Yeah, so I felt, I felt, I mean, writing the porn script paid more, but, um, but, it, and it was off the books, but, um, uh, tutoring at the, at the writing center, uh, really felt good to me. It felt like I had made it somehow, which was, you know, a little bit absurd because I was by that time 17. You know, <laughs> I thought, and what was your family thinking at the time? Had you left home? Uh, yeah, I. Um, it's it, it was a difficult time um, for me. Uh, I don't talk about it too much in the book, but um, you know, we, you know, it's been rocky, um, and uh, you know, I was kind of in some sense, some sort of uh, crisis from you know early teenagehood. Uh, I mean, the book opens with me being checked into rehab, so. It's from when I was like 13, 14. Right. You know? And what, how old were you when you were first checked into retail? But 14, I, I, right? I was 14, yeah. Um, and that's where I first heard um, a Dolly Parton song from start to finish. I mean, that's how I start the book. So what were you doing, drinking? I was drinking. I was using cocaine sometimes if I could find it. I mean, it was the 80s. So uh, <laughs> that's, what, that's what we did back then. Um, I was mostly just taking whatever I could find because, you know, I, I didn't have a lot of money and I was I was a kid. So you, you take what you have access to. But um, I, I had gotten caught br uh, bringing alcohol to school several times. So I had to go to rehab or they weren't going to let me back into school. And did so you know what I mean, I, I know it sounds a rather silly question, but did you know what you would doing were you taking cocaine and drinking excessively as a form of rebellion or you just simply did it unthinkingly it wasn't I don't I didn't think of it as a form of rebellion I mean I, I was actually I was hiding it you know and I was trying to get away with stuff because I was you know I didn't I knew it wasn't what I should be doing uh, but it was more of an escape because I'd had so much trauma earlier in my life and I just it felt good you know and it, like when I did those things I felt better and um, I like you know, obviously it didn't end well, but I think, you know, in the absence of therapy and, you know, any kind of like prescription drugs that would help a person in this situation, I did the best I could, um, uh, you know, not ill-advised, but um, at the time, really, it was just like self-medicating, I think, more than anything else. The, the title of uh, your last book, which uh, your, your last book of poems, which has been very well reviewed, was uh, landscape with sex and violence. What was the role of, of sex and violence in, in the world that you were growing up yeah. in, where you were being checked into a, 
rehab at 14 years old. Yeah, it sounds pretty wild. Um, well, I mean, I, I grew up in Los Angeles in the 1980s, which um, you know, I do not recommend. It was kind of a... a, a but not everyone, Lynn, who grew up in the 80s in, in LA ended up in rehab at 14 yeah. years old. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, I think there was just a lot of, uh, you know, I, I had, uh, when I was nine years old, I was raped by a teenage boy. And, um, and so that was like the first incident in my life in which I was the victim of violence. Um, and then, you know, as I grew up, you know, I, I would have more of uh, these sorts of experiences. And then once you find yourself in a crowd that is drinking a lot and using cocaine, especially, you know, it's just, a, it's a little rough. Um, and I, when I wrote that book, Landscape of Sex and Violence, it was me sort of trying to reconsider the landscape of Los Angeles because I missed it. Like I just wasn't paying attention to the just the beautiful flora of Los Angeles or really like everything that made up the city. I feel so identified with, although I've, I've lived in New York longer now, but I just feel like LA is in my body, you know? And um, so it was all like, but all of the beauty of LA was just sort of obscured by not only like drugs and you know ill-advised sex and and violence, but also just the movie industry and everybody's um, wanting to be uh, like near celebrity and celebrity was always overshadowing everything um, and it was just it's a strange environment to find oneself in as sort of a troubled kid to begin with. So you've developed your career as a poet, land with, uh, Landscape with Sex and Violence, people will be familiar with, also Refusenik poems, a couple of other books, uh, a couple of other books of, of, of very well-received poetry. What's it been like writing a memoir, more of a conventional narrative, even though you're building it around Dolly Parton's songs? Yeah. Well, it, I mean, in, in one sense, it was uh, really fun because I was at the beginning of something, you know, I was just like, I was a newbie again, I could, I could make mistakes. And it was like, it, it just felt really good to, to not to just be somewhere else and in a new space and starting over. Um, one thing, uh, when I turned in my first pass at it to one of my editors, um, she was like, you know, you really just have to sit in the moment and let it marinate a little bit. You can't like, you know, in poetry, you know, poetry can be more impressionistic. And if I was writing something that was difficult, you know, in for one minute, like the, I, in the next line, I could just be like, oh, look over there, you know, it's a pretty tree. Let me write about that. And in, in poetry, it makes sense, right? <laughs> like, you know, you just have all these impressions and you can go from thing to thing. Um, in memoir, you have to kind of stay in the scene and- um, Well, you have to make the yourself the heart of the narrative. Did you yeah. struggle with that? Because you don't seem a strongly egotistical time <laughs> um no it, it's it's strange you do have to kind of make of yourself a character which is which is a little odd and I don't even think I saw it that way until I was editing it you know I'm like okay I'm actually one of the characters in the book um you know you do have to decide you know what you're willing to say and what you're willing to leave out I mean it's not like you know autobiography where you start at the beginning and you tell everything and you know until the end it's it's so I, I didn't tell every, I, I left out things that I felt uncomfortable sharing, um, or in some well, you cases- You put in the being in rehab at 14. Yes, and oh yeah, it's, it's, so there's it's, a lot of stuff. Um, there's a lot of stuff to work with. Um, and I, did, I do have some deeply troubling and personal things in the book for sure. Um, and- Do you uh, think that the, if there is a narrative to your life, it's this struggle for a sense of, 
the self of figuring out who exactly is this Lynn Melnick. And this is what Dolly Parton has been very helpful in defining, even if she isn't Lynn, Mel Lynn Melnick, she's helped you define who Lynn Melnick is. Yes, I think so. And I think especially in the writing of this book, I mean, I think that I've always, I mean, I'll say this, when you are um, violated as a child, you it, it, it really screws up your sense of self, right? You don't know who you are, um, you know, in relationship to your own body anymore. It doesn't belong to you. Um, and, and that, I think, left me unsteady in many ways. Um, and, you know, then further, if you're, you know, if you're going to use a lot of drugs, you're also kind of like checked out from yourself and your body. Um, I think um, sort of claiming my own story uh, has been what I've been trying to do, you know, getting it on top of it uh, in poetry for many, many years. But it wasn't until I wrote this book and sort of had Dolly alongside me, you know, or sort of like my companion in writing this book that I felt really, I feel very um, free in a way that I hadn't before. I mean, I feel terrified because it's very vulnerable, the stuff I'm writing about and people are gonna read it, um, hopefully. Um, so, but it feels, um, that feels a little scary because, you know, people don't read poetry very much. So there's always safety in, in those small numbers. But I also feel very free. I feel like I've gotten something off my chest and I can like move on to whatever's next with these particular stories and with my life. I feel more settled, maybe is a better way to put it. Well, another way of putting it, Lynn, is that you're a survivor. And the subtitle of the, of the book is called I've Had to Think Up a Way to Survive. And the value of survivor narratives of memoirs is, I think, uh, to provide people who have gone, who are struggling now with what you struggled with when you were 14. It's right that the LA of the 1980s is different today, but there are still many young girls in particular, teenage girls, perhaps even pre-teenage girls, struggling with drink, drugs, exploitation, rape, one kind of sexual criminality or another. What um, advice would you give a 14 or 15-year-old girl going through what you went through when you were 14? Um, that's a good question. I I, ha I do hear from, because of my poetry books, I, I have heard in the past from people going through those things, although they tended to be a little older and sort of recounting stories of their of their childhood. I, I think to any person who is suffering and, and keeping things to themselves, I would really encourage them not to keep secrets. You know, I have been um, in my life a, a tremendous secret keeper, which seems very at odds with the fact that I just published a memoir. But for many, many years, I kept most of the stuff to myself. Um, and that's damaging. That was incredibly damaging to me because it let all the bad feelings sort of fester. Um, and so I would encourage anyone who's, um, you know, facing, uh, who has faced violence uh, and, and other horrors to talk about it. It doesn't have to be, you know, in a memoir, you know, to the public, but talk about it with someone who who just, just can listen to you. Um, and then also that you are not what happened to you, right? A person isn't uh, what they have been victimized by or what they have suffered. They are so much more than that. And I wish, I wish that I had known that and felt that a lot earlier that there was, and to imagine a future for myself because for a long time um, I couldn't do that. And so just to remind anyone who's gone through this stuff that, you know, there is a, there is future and there is a light out there for them. 
It's interesting, Lynn, uh, you talk about uh, your your unwillingness to share. Of course, the big difference between the 80s and today is the existence of social media, Dolly Parton's on it, where she, <laughs> she, 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 she uh, published her note about um, Loretta Lynn. Um, lots of concern about the, uh, the lack of privacy on social media, on TikTok, on Instagram, and its impact on the mental health, particularly of young women, I don't get the sense that you're someone particularly active in social media. What's your take, though, on the role of social media in helping struggling teens and perhaps in some ways in compounding their problems? Um, well, I mean, I do, you know, I'm on, I'm not on TikTok. I think I'm too old for that now. But I'm on some social media and I enjoy it as the way to share. But I, I always say, uh, that if I had been on social media when I was a teenager, it would have been a disaster for me. Uh, it would just be like as much as it was already a disaster. I have two teenage daughters and um, one is on social media, uh, the 17 year old, the 13 year old is not. Um, and I have seen what social media does to girls and to teenagers. I think it's incredibly toxic. Um, you know, everybody I know who has younger kids, I say, don't let them go on social media till they're, you know, in high school, at least, or till they're older. Um, but it's just so compelling for them. It's how they socialize. So it's hard to say no as a parent. Um, but having seen what social media is like for my older daughter, I wouldn't let my younger daughter on it. I won't let her on it until she's a little bit more mature. It's, it's really just the wild west out there. And you know, in the ways that teens could always be cruel to one another, you know, like as they test out their own sense of self, it's just compounded because the audience is so big. And then add to that, you know, they all want to emulate, you know, celebrities who, you know, are, you know, starving themselves or, you know, just sort of obsessed with their own image. And, you know, um, it's, it's impossible to avoid that stuff, I think now, but I think as a parent, you want to um, be in dialogue with them about it, you know, <laughs> like make sure they understand what it is they're looking at and what is intended for um, and how it's not necessarily real life. But it's I, I'm just thankful that I did not grow up with that. Um, it's difficult. It's a platform for trauma, really. I mean, the subtitle of your book on trauma, persistence and Dolly Parton. Um, is this something that we should appreciate, celebrate, or be concerned with in the way in which particularly young women, young girls go on these platforms, the TikToks and Instagrams of the world to share their trauma and to publicize often all too transparency, yeah. their experience of trauma? I mean, that's a very interesting question because, I mean, I, as, as you probably know, like things like suicide and suicidal ideation right. are, are contagious. Um, and I think it's similar with things like eating disorders and, you know, um, and I think uh, the Internet and especially, uh, you know, platforms like, um, you know, Instagram or TikTok where there's images, you know, people post these images and they, they seem seductive. It always seems like, you know, it's like when I was a kid, the, the popular girl in school seemed like she must have the perfect life, no matter what she was going through, you know. But now it's like. But it, I, that was on my whole group, right? It was just who I went to school with. Now it seems like, you know, all these people on Instagram are living this amazing life. Um, and that even when they suffer, 
it's glamorous, right? <laughs> like it's 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 beautiful, and they look great doing it. And I think so. I think that is a danger, right? Like it, I think a lot of times teens, especially, are exposed to things that they're not ready to really process. They're just not old enough to process, so they make false assumptions about what they're seeing, and that can get dangerous. On the other hand, I think um, having a space for young people and you know even older people to reach out when they're suffering and to know that they're not alone in what they're going through is also uh, is something that I wish that I had had you know that I wish I had access to information so I think that young people's ability to access information is you know a blessing and a curse and just so very different from what I had growing up well, Len Melnick, congratulations on your new memoir. I've had to think up a way to survive on trauma, persistence, and Dolly Parton. Um, unfortunately, we can't do an outro with a Dolly Parton soundtrack, but if we could, which song would you choose? Is there a, a favorite Dolly Parton song that captures everything about her genius and, uh, and how you've used her to survive, to become a survivor? Um. That is a great question. I mean, it's very hard for me to pick my very favorite because there just are so many lately. That's like choosing between your children, your two daughters. <laughs> exactly. Except Dolly has 3,000 songs. <laughs> and um, it's, it's very difficult to, um, to choose. Well, I won't tell anyone, Lynn. Just yeah. one song. If we okay, had to I end on, on a song, if we had a, an outro soundtrack, what would it be? I would give you uh, her song, Wildflowers. Why? Uh, because the, the chorus in that is wildflowers don't care where they grow. And it's just about being able to survive and to, to grow and be beautiful anywhere, anywhere you are. Well, that's good stuff, Lynn. Thank you for being so personal and sharing this. And congratulations again on the new book. I've had to think up a way to survive on trauma, persistence, and Dolly Parton by my guest, Lynn Melnick, who's been through a great deal and has been very honest, mostly honest in this new book, this new memoir. Uh, Lynn, any other books? I, I know you're a very keen, active reader. What other books have you been enjoying recently? I just finished um, a book called The Black Period by Hafiza Augustus Jeter. And it's a part memoir, uh, you know, sort of part musing, um, you know, on her, on, on art and life and identity. Yeah, we, we did, we, we, we had her on the show and she was it's, a wonderful guest, actually. She's amazing. Yeah, I, I'm like obsessed with that book. And then I, I just started a book, uh, it's in galleys now, it's by the author Melinda Moustakis. It's called Homestead and it's a, it's a novel about uh, the settlers of Alaska um, in the, around the 1950s. Um, and her, her prose is just so poetic. It's such a pleasure to read. So I just began that one.